Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. In the effort to make urban America understand rural America, particularly since the 2016 election, books about rural America have become almost a genre unto themselves. Works by J.D. Vance, Sarah Smarsh, Nancy Eisenberg, James Fallow, Sarah Kenzier, and Nicholas Kristof, and others have cast a class-driven and almost apologetic eye on rural America. Certainly much is wrong there, in part as a result of external changes and neglect on the part of policymakers. Places and towns where everybody knows your name are no longer appreciated or reflective of the values that they so long injected into the nation's DNA. But there really are things they can still teach us, especially if we look at the best of what these towns have to offer, not the worst. What happens when young people choose to stay, when those with gifts and talent choose to redirect it into their community rather than spend their intellectual capital in the attempt to escape? It's not a choice for all in a place like Down East Maine, but it's good that some choose to stay. And those are the ones that my guest, Gigi Georges, introduces us to in her debut book, Down East. Gigi Georges has an extensive career in politics, public service, and academia. She's a former White House special assistant and former communications director for the New York City Department of Education. She's taught political science at Boston College and served as a program director at the Harvard Kennedy School. And it is my pleasure to welcome Gigi Georges here to talk about Down East, Five Main Girls and the Unseen Story of Rural America. Gigi, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's great to be here with you today. Well, it's great to have you here. When you set out to, to do this project, to write Down East, to what extent were you thinking about so much that's been written of late about rural America and the way it's being perceived in, in, in urban America, frankly? You know, it was very much top of mind. Uh, as you noted in your beautiful introduction, uh, there have been a number of books written in recent years that have gained attention about rural America. And part of the overlay of what's happened politically has been ever present in those discussions as well. But what I saw when I started to spend more time in rural parts uh, was something that was a little bit different, and I think many people would find surprising, uh, that wasn't always there and isn't always there and is particularly not present in much of the dominant narrative about rural America that we hear so much of about this hopelessness and despair. Uh, and I wanted to dig deeper. I wanted to understand a little better uh, what that dichotomy was between some of what I was seeing, despite significant challenges, as you note, and what I kept reading and hearing, particularly in media accounts. What is your sense of, of why in so many of those media accounts and some of those other books that I mentioned that the focus immediately goes to hope and despair. Because even, I'm assuming, in some of those places where we've read about so much of that, that misery, that there are positive stories not unlike the, the five girls that you look at in Down East. That's a great question, and it's something I've reflected on uh, quite a bit uh, in the five years or so that I've spent in both researching and then reporting on the ground for Down East. Uh, I, I don't know that I have the answer, but I do think that uh, there is, 
even for folks who are uh, reporting on some of these rural beats, uh, there is a difficulty in sort of wrapping one's head around that deeper piece. Uh, perhaps it has to do with the time that one needs to spend. And I was fortunate to spend some really immersive time uh, and to get beyond what you do see when you first arrive. Uh, when outsiders first arrive, you do see that uh, many of these towns do have struggles. They do have economic hardship. Uh, they do have uh, a tremendous amount of hardship within their midst. Uh, but I do think that perhaps it is because we don't always take the time or have the time perhaps um, coming from the outside to, to look beyond and to widen the lens. And again, that's what I sought to do. One of the things that you do in looking at these girls is is really evolve a narrative that's so counter to what seems to be the binary choice when we think about these places, which is that people are either stuck there, even if there isn't misery, they're stuck there, or if they're young, there's the opportunity to get out. In many In many respects, there never seems to be a third choice. That's so true. And what I found when I started to spend time with these young women, and I spent time with five young women, and um, their stories, I think, taken together exemplify uh, some of this multidimensionality that you're getting at. Uh, when I started to spend time with them, I started to see that, indeed, it is so far from binary, that within each of these girls, these young women, there were tensions around uh, staying or going. There were questions about what the opportunities might be should they stay, but always, always at the heart and at the root of those questions and tensions was a tremendous bond to the land and sea around them, to the natural beauty, a tremendous linkage to their community, uh, and in, in most cases to their immediate family, uh, and a significant sense within themselves that they could, even if they were to leave, they, they would always have their heart in a piece of this place down east, and they would always have within them that sense of communion to both the natural surroundings and the community and the life that they've been brought up in. And I thought that um, that was just incredibly powerful to see uh, within that, that, that scope of what they were exploring. How much of that, though, comes from, and you've referenced it a couple of times, how much of it comes from the natural beauty, the fact that this is a place, while it may be rural, while it may have many of the problems of rural America, also has the overlay of being as, as beautiful a place as it is. And in some ways, it makes it different and, and unique from some of these other areas in rural America. I think that the natural beauty is significant in the way in which these girls express their communion to place, but I don't think it makes the place unique. Uh, what I saw was something even deeper than that, that I also very strongly believe is representative in other parts of a rural America, uh, and that is the social capital. The way in which these communities are thriving, 
because they lean on each other, because they find ways to uh, take part in everything that is going on and find a release in that. Uh, these are folks who, who are, they work hard. It's a lot of physical labor. In the case of Down East Washington County, uh, lobster fishing is the key industry. There is also blueberry farming. Both of those industries are tremendously um, difficult in terms of the physical toll they take. But I, I really believe, and I have seen this in my broader research uh, that I've done in the backdrop to Down East. And that broader research did involve looking at other places, looking at data uh, and reading academic studies as well as broader accounts. Um, I do see that you could interchange, for example, the blueberries in Down East Washington County <laughs> with cherries in Michigan, uh, you know, river fishing for ocean fishing. Uh, Interchange those pieces of the work and the community, and you will see that people are thriving despite difficulties because of that great sense of social capital. And how did they see prior generations, and, and I know it's tough to generalize, but we can talk about the five girls, how they see the value of prior generations, not just their parents, but generations that came before and the generations that stayed and, and thrived in some of these communities. It's very interwoven into the fabric of these uh, young women. Uh, there's one, one girl, Audrey, one young woman, Audrey, who I had the good fortune of spending time with while she was with her grandmother, Grandma Sarah, and her mother and her aunts. And they all live, it's a multi-generational Downey's family, and they all live on the Back Bay Road in Millbridge, one of the towns that I feature. And I spent time with this grandmother, Sarah, who is a spitfire. She, you know, I met her when she was in her early 80s, um, and she sadly passed uh, while I was writing the book. But she just exemplified and embodied this generational fierceness of the women in Down East Washington County that I believe is also shown in so many rural places. And the way, though, that at the same time they pass on this strength and toughness and resilience to their daughters and granddaughters, they also represent sort of where things were versus where these young women are taking them. And I saw that uh, somewhat of attention, but also an embracing by Audrey and her peers, the young women, of that past of tradition and that past of valuing that simple life uh, and fearing, in a sense, the progress, but embracing what progress had to offer and bridging. And this was one of the major themes of the book in the end, that these young women in many ways, who are leaders in the community, who are excelling and in many ways surpassing the young men, uh, they are serving as bridges because they recognize the value of the past, but they have a generational sense of progress, and they want to stay and build with that lens of 
progress in mind. It's interesting because we think about we think about it with respect to immigration and certainly these kinds of, of situations, that the strength comes from being able to escape, that it's kind of a self-selecting population that is able to escape someplace and move to someplace else. And yet this is the opposite in many respects, where where they bring that strength to the ability to stay. Absolutely. And it is really striking that we hear so much in these broader narratives about that one in a million who has to escape in order to succeed, right? And those stories are powerful, but much more powerful to me is what you're talking about, this way in which for many young women and men in places like down East Washington County, staying is where the power is. Um, there is a sign in the high school that these young women all went to and graduated from prominently placed when you walk in that says staying isn't settling. And that struck me so, so vividly when I first saw it. And underneath this sign, they have the names and faces of young people who have made the decision to stay and who are taking on opportunities. And opportunities are limited, but they are taking them on and they are building community and doing so honestly and interestingly side by side with folks who have come from away and made a decision to stay and build with them, with immigrant families who have come as farm workers and made a decision to stay and build. And they are doing this together. You talk about the young women doing it. What are you seeing among the young men and, and what kind of imbalance does that create? It's an interesting story, and honestly, it would be it would be really fascinating to do uh, another another book, perhaps, or, <laughs> or an article uh, that looks at the young men because they have their own story to tell. Uh, there are many young men who are doing well there, uh, particularly in lobster fishing. That is a tremendous industry, and while there are questions about its future, there always are. Uh, for, the, for the time being, it is strong, and it is a place where traditionally young men have done very, very well. At the same time, um, what has happened is that often because lobster fishing is an opportunity and a pathway for these young men, uh, they will forego college going. Uh, they will at times leave school, high school early in order to pursue fishing because while it is a very, very difficult job, it's backbreaking work, it is, you can make good money um, at, in terms of down east standards, right? Uh, at the same time, I think that with the, with the young men, you know, there is a little bit of a struggle overall. And I think it's a, a really tough question. Uh, I asked almost everyone I talked to, and I talked to hundreds of people over the course of this, this time, uh, either in or connected to the community in some way, I asked almost every one of them why they thought there was this imbalance. And it's not an easy answer. And what do the young women say? What do these five young women say when they think about, you know, their future there as it relates to, to young men? They are very 
reflective about it. And uh, in many ways, I think that they feel as though they have found their place and in in some ways they see it as a competitiveness they don't they don't really see the the imbalance as much as sort of I'll give you the example of McKenna one of the young women who is a lobster fisherman and that's what they call them man or woman it is the term is lobster fisherman there uh she from a very early age knows she wants to fish lobsters and she's got her dad and her brothers as role models and she starts fishing at the age of eight by the time she's 17 she is a lobster boat captain running her own boat uh and she looks at the boys and she doesn't have pity for them she says look I'm doing it. I'm not complaining about it. I am doing my schoolwork. I am running a lobster boat. I am making good on what I need to do for my community and my family. I don't want to hear their complaints. And so it is a very interesting sort of toughness. Um, And yet at the same time, She's, you know, she loves these boys. She's part of them. She's part of their, their, their lobster fishing community, and they, and they respect and honor her. Is there a sense among these women that if they leave, they will never come back, that, that they really, if they're going to do this, they have to stay, because to leave means just, you know, how are you going to keep them down on the farm, et cetera? Well, I think that is in in the minds of some of these young women, um, although I do also think there's such a connectedness to the place and to the families and community um, that even when they think about it, I think there's always a piece of them that is that knows they will come back in some form, uh, even if it's not to live. And I think about the one example of yet another one of these five young women, and that is Josie, who probably faces this most head-on because she is the, the one who goes to Yale second ever in the school to do so, the first being her older sister. Uh, she's class valedictorian, and um, she is she has this tremendous um, sort of sense of taking agency over her life, right? She's going to go to Yale, and she's going to do big things, and she is ready. Uh, she comes to really appreciate and value Down East in many very deep ways over the course of the time that she has one foot Down East and one foot in New Haven with all of the things that each of those represent. And she comes to realize that there is strength and value in what she has Down East. And while she may not return to live... I can guarantee that she will return in a way that is helping her community. And she has already made that commitment in her mind and in her heart to do that. Is there a sense that in addition to to sort of going against the, you know, what's traditionally happened in these small towns, that that these women are kind of bucking popular culture, which which they see, which they witness all the time, which tells them to do exactly the opposite of what they're doing. 
That's an excellent question because they are all uh, women and young women and young men there. They all are exposed to uh, that broader popular culture, right, which does um, in many ways sort of bump up against the life that they live down east. Uh, but I did not sense that they felt a tremendous tension over it. Um, I think that certainly in the case of these young women and in the case of the broader circles that they interacted in, that I got to know, that there was a recognition of what was going on in the, quote, outside world and a, um, and a way in which that they pulled some of those elements in. Uh, but did not let it dominate or overtake what they saw as valuable in their communities. And perhaps that is because of what I keep going back to, which is that the fabric of the community is so strong uh, that there is a fundamentally um, powerful set of ties that can sometimes be overwhelming, right? Everyone knows what everyone else is doing. Everyone, right. you know, you go down to the corner store and, you know, the, the mom gets a phone call to say, well, blah, blah, blah. You know, there is that element, right? And it can be stifling. Uh, but, but ultimately, I think as these young women sort of matured and grew in it, they valued it and, and, they, and, they, and they saw the power in it juxtaposed against some of these popular cultural pieces. And do they draw strength from each other? Is, is there kind of a support system among those that choose to stay? Very much, very much. And there are, um, and there are both informally there is, and you see it, for example, in certain pockets of um, these young women. There's, there is, for example, one other strand that sort of I think helps make it so cohesive, and that is the mentorship um, that these girls sort of circle around, particularly in the school among teachers and among the coaches. Uh, and you see it, for example, um, the way in which these young women are very tied to the art teacher who, who's lovingly known as Franny, it's Britt Francis. And they, um, they sort of wrap themselves around her and the time they spend together in the art room and they link to each other and, and pretty much all of the, most of the young women that are in this book do that and form a group around that. And she helps them both understand what they have in Down East and also see the, bro the broader world view. Um, so you have that in, in those examples and in other examples of um, these girls uh, pulling together for each other and with each other. Do they have a sense of what they want to happen in this town, what they want the future to look like, how they want to begin to bring it about? I don't know that they have a particularly specific set of ideas that they're circling around together. But I do know that from speaking with them, spending time with them, going out on their lobster boats with them, uh, and just hanging out in their favorite places, um, that part of their vision is, A, to preserve the natural environment that is so important to every one of them, whether they make a living off of it or not, uh, B, to preserve the sense of community, that they have while expanding 
I think, the community's sense of what it means to incorporate progress into it. Uh, and so I think that um, their vision does involve bringing some of the broader scope of what we have in terms of cultural sensibilities and ideas, um, respect for others, lifestyles, uh, and respect for people making different choices, right? Bringing that in and trying to weave it into what they value uh, that has been passed on from these fierce grandmothers and mothers to them. Looking into the crystal ball for a moment, if you were to go back to this town and look at these girls at five years from now, 10 years from now, what do you think might be different? What, do you, what would you expect to find? I think that we will see many of the same things. I think that the strength within these communities will still be there. What I do think will look perhaps different is that you have more diversity coming in through immigrant families making a decision to stay and having children and their children having children and they're, they're making a decision to stay and becoming much more integrated into the community as leaders, not only as workers. I think of um, the work that's being done, for example, by a, tremendous nonprofit called Mono and Mono right there in one of these towns where they are helping these immigrant families lead the way and where they are also finding ways that the multi-generational members of the community are not only willing but 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 eager to have them stand by side by side with them. And so I do think we're going to see a little bit more of that uh, even though you know Maine is is a very white right state, um, I think we'll see more of that, and I think we'll see the way in which that brings just some some new and fresh and interesting pieces to what's already there. Gigi Georges, the book is Down East: Five Maine Girls and the Unseen Story of Rural America. Gigi, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Jeff. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you.